Welcome to Side Effects with an A. When effect is normally used, it's a noun. It's already occurred. Effect is a verb meaning action. Action influences outcomes. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. We will provoke you to think differently. Side Effects, where problems are defined, solutions exposed. Welcome back to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. How are you, Anne? I'm doing great. How are you today, Scott? Good. Good. So uh, you weren't in the office last week, so where were you? Nope. I was in Dallas, Texas for three days, uh, headed down there for a peer-to-peer conference with some of our partner groups in the C2 organization. So it was a really great trip. Um, glad to be back, though. Never been to Dallas, but I think I'll go back and visit. Yeah, because you're, you're not a gigantic, you don't like to travel. I do not like to travel. We, we talked about that, and I, I did okay. I did check a bag. It makes me happy to check a bag and not take one on the flight. Um, but absolutely no, no problems. Direct flight, got right in. Um, didn't get to see much of Dallas. Was in the conference most of the time, so that's why I think I'll go back. So when you say C2, what, 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 what would that mean to our listeners? Oh, sure. So we are a member firm with five other large regional brokers that wish to remain independent across the U.S., and we formed an organization for purchasing power, for knowledge sharing, and really so that we can serve our clients in the most appropriate way going forward. Yeah, I think what C2, uh, at least what... I- in, in my opinion, what it does is it just provides this gigantic antenna across the nation as we look at privately held brokers like ourselves, uh, and then how do we compete against national firms, and we don't want to be publicly traded. We don't want to answer to shareholders. We want to answer to our customers. Right. But we need an antenna tall enough to look across this country. And I think one of the great things about um, this was actually for the uh, sales leaders and the sales folks inside of the organizations, and it was an opportunity for us to benchmark each other um, against, you know, what are you doing inside of your organization? What are we doing? What do you see in your market? Um, here's what we see in our market. It's so we can continue to get better, but benchmark ourselves against someone who looks like us, just in a different marketplace. Yeah, I think benchmarking you know, at least from an employer perspective, it's questions they ask themselves all the time. So am I, really, the reference point is, am I normal? Does that make sense? Right. Am I normal? People want to know, how do I look compared to everyone else? Even if you don't want to change what you're doing, you just want to have an idea of what does that look like? What is everyone else doing? Am I doing this right? Am I a leader? Am I a laggard? What's out there? You know, it, it's a great question, too, because I think a lot of times when we when we speak to clients or prospects or different organizations, um, some of them have really, really strong cultures. So they want to offer benefits at a very high level, uh, pay for those at a very high level. And, you know, one of the questions we always kind of provoke our customers to think differently would be you've got to have a good idea about where your competitors are. Right. It's it's industry by industry, but definitely when people talk about benefits, you know, one of the questions I always ask employers is, what are you trying to do with your benefits? Trying to attract talent? Trying to retain your talent? Do you want benefits to be the reason someone comes here? And I certainly know they don't want it to be the reason someone leaves. Um, but just understanding first and foremost, people want benchmarking. They want to know, how do I stack up? But more importantly, what are you going to do with it, right? 
Um, are you going to change the way that you're offering your benefits so that it looks like your competitor next door or down the street? Or do you just want to know because you're looking at your overall benefits? You know, pay scale comes into this, not just what they're offering on the group side and culture. So it's it's not you can't look at benchmarking in a vacuum and just say, well, company A has a five hundred dollar deductible. And so we should, too. That makes no sense. Um, but understanding what to do with the data is really important. Yeah, and I think what, you know it's really interesting. At least we're sitting here in Dayton, Ohio, which um, is uh, is interesting because we grew up in a city that was referred to as Generous Motors. So General Motors was here for a long time, and they're not here any longer, uh, unfortunately. But their benefits historically were very rich. Right. And I think even if you, you know, go down the road a bit to Cincinnati, you've got, you know, Procter & Gamble down there, Kroger, lots of big GE, lots of big employers who also historically had very, very rich benefit packages. And Columbus is even different than that. So so your point is, is you know, benchmarking, it's it's regional. Right. It's very regional. And you, you've got to be aware. I mean, if you and I, we've got a bottle of water here in front of us and if you and I were selling water and I knew you paid 100% for health care and had a $100 deductible and had all these benefits stacked on, on, on top of each other, that would tell me that, one, you really care about people. But it would also tell me that I don't have to be that great at making water and selling it because your benefit load is pre- pretty steep. So my ability to be a lot more competitive in the marketplace because what I know what you're doing and I think what's safe for our listeners, at least employers, to understand is you don't have to be average. Most employers don't want to be average. Right. They want to be better than the average. But you've got to understand what other employers are doing to you and your workforce. Yeah. Well, and even you said most employers want to be better than average. And I think that's true. People are competitive and they want to excel. Um, but I've seen employers that say, you know what? We just want to be right at the midpoint. Or actually, our pay scale is so much better than, you know, our competitors that we can afford to offer benefits that aren't quite as rich. Um, And not only is it regional, it's industry by industry. So if you look at the the technology space or the professional services space, that looks dramatically different than manufacturing or even nonprofits. Yeah, especially retail. So you look at the cost of insurance or the cost of benefits based on sectors. Healthcare and finance is normally the highest. Uh, and then retail is normally the lowest by a pretty wide gap. Right. And part of that is the richness of benefits. Um, you know, retail benefits tend to be less rich. You know, you talked about the overall cost. What, you know, the, the overall cost of benefits on an annual basis is right around $11,000 a year now. Um, so I don't know, you know, for, for our listeners out there, I don't know how that compares with what you're paying for your employees on an annual basis. Again, that's across all, all industries. Um, but it's not an inexpensive thing. No, and I think what's important for our listeners, so we say $11,000 per belly button covered. Right. So I look at my total cost of health insurance. We're talking health insurance only right now. Divided by the number of people on the plan, that's 11000 per belly button. And obviously in our organization across the country, there, there, there are employers that are paying significantly less than that. And there are employers that are paying significantly more than that. But the national average is about $11,000 per head. 
Right. You know, another thing to think about, and you talk about the dollars associated with it, we're talking about an annualized dollar. If you work with contractors out there at all, they price their jobs on, on labor hours, and they're looking for any cost savings that they can get in the benefit space because that goes directly to the bottom line in their quotes. It makes them competitive or not on jobs. It's a really big deal. So when, when I work with contractors, they want to know what they can get out on a per hour basis. It's of funny you bring that up because I brought that up to somebody the other day. So if you took the cost of health care at $11,000, it's about $5.50 per hour. It's a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money for coverage. So another interesting question that I'll ask an employer is, what is the percentage of the workforce that's on the plan? So I'm spending $11,000 per belly button. And what is the percentage of the people that are, that are covered? Some of them will say, well, just about all of them. And I'll be like, well, that might be great culturally. Right. But financially, you just need to be aware around what other employers are doing. So the national average is about 22% of the workforce waves off the plan. So those are the number of people that don't need your coverage because maybe their spouse is covered somewhere else. Right. Or maybe they have purchased coverage through the marketplace um, on or off the exchange. Uh, maybe they're still on their parents' plan. They can get coverage up to age 26. If you have 100% of your workforce or 90% of your workforce on your benefits plan, you're probably overpaying. There's a healthy balance of having you know, all of your employees covered versus some of your employees covered. We're not suggesting that you don't offer them coverage, but we suggest that you look at how your plan's set up compared to the market and compared to others around you to make sure that you're not having more people on your plan than you need to. Yeah, I think one of the things, too, for our listeners, too, is what, you know, what we're not implying is that you put walls around your organization. Really, what we're discussing is you need to put fences up. Because when mom and dad sit down at the kitchen table and they're making a decision on, hey, which plan do you want to be on? You, you want to construct your benefit plan where it's a coin toss. And unfortunately, a lot of employers that don't benchmark their benefit plans, don't benchmark contributions, we'll talk about that in a minute, don't benchmark or look at things like spousal surcharges, smoking surcharges. Uh, the coin never comes out of their pocket. Right. And we get, I get asked this question a lot. So how many employers are carving out spouses or have a spousal surcharge? Employers want to know that. It got a lot of press here in the last few years with ACA and guaranteed issue coverage through the marketplace. We saw some big employers, UPS, that just said spouses can't be on our plan. Whether you have coverage or you don't, you're kicked off. And they can do that. Employers can do that. And now that coverage is guaranteed issue, they have a place to go, those spouses that don't work or even that have conditions. So they just said, you know what, you're off our plan. But only about 9% of employers actually carve spouses out of the plan. So it feels like many more because of the press it got, but there aren't that many employers that are doing it. It's not a popular thing. Culturally, it feels bad. And I would tell you, again, as an employer, you shouldn't just go kick spouses off your plan or implement a surcharge. Maybe you should look and see how much are those spouses actually costing your plan um, and how many spouses are actually on your plan. Yeah. So you say 9% of the employers uh, exclude spouses, which is, which is hard news. Uh, I do think that a lot of employers are now considering spousal surcharges. So my spouse is eligible somewhere else, chooses to take, let's just say my plan or let's just say our plan. It's just going to cost more 
for our plan. And it's really important for employers to understand that the day to discuss that is not the day in front of all your employees telling everybody, hey, we're going to implement a spousal surcharge. What's really important for benchmarking for employers to understand is just be really aware of what the marketplace is doing against you because they're doing these things to get people off of their plan. And guess where they show up? They show up on your plan. So when you're talking to your employees, uh, you, you can discuss things like other employers are excluding spouses. We're not going to do that. Other employers are deploying spouses surcharges. We're not going to do that. Other employers are implementing smoker surcharges. We're not going to do that. And that sort of information early to the game, to the workforce, because there is going to become a day when you have to execute those things. Right. And so what you're saying is talk about it in advance. Correct. Talk about it before you have to do it. And also make sure the employees know that you're not doing it. I mean, by not doing it, obviously, they know they're not paying a surcharge, but they also are not exposed to fact, the fact that others might be. So, again, benchmarking is just one variable. What you're talking about there is the culture piece. What you're talking about there is employee relations. You're talking about making sure that the employees understand and appreciate what you are able to do as an employer until, until you aren't. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. So one of the things, too, that, that I think our listeners might be curious, so we, we talked about $11,000 per belly button. We talked about some of the emerging trends in regards to how do I create incentives for people not to take my plan. Mm -hmm. So that could be spousal surcharges, smoking surcharges, spousal carve-outs, uh, paying people, so compensating people for waving off the plan. So you don't need it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deploy money your direction for doing that. But the other thing is in regards to the actual benefit coverage. So, uh, and again, this is regional. So in our market, the average deductible for a PPO plan, which stands for Preferred Provider Organization, uh, is about $1,500 for single coverage. That's the average. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct you and say it's the median, right? So it's the actually, it's the midpoint. So if you laid all the deductibles down it would be the exact middle. Did you correct me? I did. Oh, I did. Okay. So just... average, median, I don't know. Yeah. People use the words interchangeably, but they are not the same. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. Um, no. So... When I say average, so you know, <laughs> be average. Okay. So yeah. if you have a, a deductible that's $1,000, <clears throat> then you're better than more than half the employers out there in our marketplace. Um, just a few years ago, that was around $750, and it crept up to around 1000 Now it's $1,500. Um, it's really unheard of to see deductibles that are, are much lower than that, and occasionally we come across it. Four or $500 deductible, I saw one yesterday. Those employees do not know how good they have it. So, so if I saw an employer like that, I would say, number one, probably they have very high participation in their plan. Mm -hmm. So yes. there's opportunity at the table for that employer right. to move that up. The other thing that's important, too, is we talk about contribution structures. So the national average for uh, single coverage is about, uh, about 120 bucks, And for family- A month. A month. Right. And then for family coverage, closer to like 400 And in this market, we've seen it as high as $500 per month. Right. And uh, if, if, if you're lower than that, I mean, obviously, it's your organization. You get to do what you want to do. That's why you got into business, which is why I love free enterprise. But if my, if my contribution's at 200 and my competitors are at five, 
um, I'm at a disadvantage. Right. Now, if my contributions are 700 and my competition's at 500, I've got probably some cultural issues that I might have to address or yeah. think about. And just understanding, again, you know, employers always want to know what makes up the cost of my plan? Why does my plan cost what it does? And what can I do to control the cost in the future? And understanding what your contributions are, understanding what your plan design is, understanding who you're insuring, what's the average age of your population, all of those things add up to what you're paying in overall cost. So if your plan is generally richer, you're generally going to be paying more in terms of claims costs. People will use the plan more readily. If your average age is older, you're going to be paying more in claims costs because people are experiencing conditions and chronic conditions. Our bodies aren't meant to last forever. So all of these things help not only understand how do you look next to the employer next to you or a competitor in your space, um, but also, how does this relate to my overall cost, and what can I do to plan for the future with this information? It, you're exactly right. So then the other thing, too, is obviously health savings accounts uh, is, uh, is, is a strategy that, that I would say there, there's higher intensity in Ohio. Yes. Ohio has done an excellent job in this marketplace. Our, our commercial carriers in this marketplace really educated not only the broker community, but also the business community on what a high deductible health plan was uh, paired with an HSA bank account. They came on the scene in 2004. People weren't really sure about what they were, but we had very early adoption in Ohio, and that was primarily due to the ed- education process that took place. Well, it, it also could be a reflection of the very rich coverage that we had prior to that technology or that trend. Right. And, and employers looking for a way to instantly reduce their, exactly. their premium. Um, there was quite a bit of savings initially to go from a PPO plan with a 250 deductible to jump over to a high deductible health plan with, you know, back in the day at, at a, at a $1,500 deductible on the, on the HSA plans. Which is a really good reflection of why benchmarking is so important. So if, if you look at our marketplace, we probably weren't, uh, as a community, I won't say, as a community weren't self-aware in regards to what other employers were doing across the country. We just looked directionally across the street at General Motors and what they were doing. Obviously, we're trying to attract employees, retain employees, and the reference point is that coverage level. So when they decided to move out of Dayton, then all of a sudden we had the, uh, the opportunity to look at different benefit levels. But we, we increased those, bene- that, those deductibles at a very fast pace. So the average deductible for a health savings account is uh, $3,000. That's the national average, unless you want to say median. I mean, you can say that. Right. If you it, want to say I, that again. I'm going to say it, median. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's okay. fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. Now, the contribution <laughs> string for that is completely different than the PPO. So an HSA deductible or a contribution for a single coverage is around $70, so significantly less than a PPO. And for family coverage, uh, about $270, $280. Right. So about half. So take home, if you think about that for an employee, under the PPO scenario we discussed, it's about $6,000 a year. Um, under this scenario we're talking about, it's around $3,500 a year. That's a significant amount of money for a family to have in their household budget. Now, the coverage level that goes with it, obviously, they're purchasing a little bit less coverage and they're purchasing coverage that gets used in a different way. 
Um, but keep in mind that most employers, when they put in an HSA with a qualified high deductible health plan, are actually making a contribution to that health savings account for the employee. That's a bank account that you put money in tax-free, you pull money out tax-free when you use it to pay for medical expenses. So on average, employers are contributing around $500 a year for single and $1,000 a year for families. You know, I can't wait. Um, in one of our future episodes, we'll talk about the power of an HSA because they're intimidating. And, off, and you know, often it's just we're intimidated by things we don't understand. But what's interesting about an HSA, and again, we'll talk about this later, is that <clears throat> folks that normally incur the largest amount of claims win most often under a health savings account. Right. So an employer just has to be aware because normally they think, well, I'm going to hurt people. Actually, you're not. You're actually going to help people. Right. So like what you just said is you're going to put $3,500 back in a family's pocket. So if I'm healthy, that does a lot for me. Yeah. If I'm sick or I have high claims and I have the opportunity to put that $3,500 in a health, health savings account and, and the key word is if, if I get sick or if I incur claims, right. I have access to those funds. It's tremendously powerful. Right. Because remember, we're purchasing insurance for uh, something we don't know about, right? If we try to purchase insurance for known risk, we wouldn't be able to get it. So insurance is meant for things that we're not we're not sure are going to happen. And ultimately, I think with those olden days of zero deductibles or $250 deductibles, I think people just felt like insurance was there to use all the time. They weren't thinking about it in terms of it's here if something really wrong happens to me. So putting that money back in their pocket, giving them the opportunity, but all of that comes with education. If employees don't understand what they have, they'll be frustrated um, they'll be upset with that. So making sure that they understand how the plan works, there can be a lot of wins. And when we look at it, you're right, mostly people who have high claims, people who have low claims, that's a no-brainer. Choosing an HSA is definitely the way to go. It's the people in the middle. We have to sit down and help them understand which plan design works best. Well, and I think also, too, so we have um, data analytics inside of uh, McGowan Brave, and it refer- we refer to it as, as uh, numbers. So if you're curious about how that works, you can go to www.healthierbirthdays.com, and we can kind of directionally talk about that in a different way. But our data analytics um, system allows us – so now we're just unpacking benchmarking. So what are other employers doing, and what should you be thinking about? So in that decision process, when you're thinking about how is this going to affect our workforce, we can drive through data analytics and understand how that's going to affect – each belly button. Right. And so, you know, as Scott just referred to our, our data analytics tool, and we're talking about some other benchmarking that's out there in the marketplace, there are many, many surveys that are done out there. We do a, a mid-market employer survey through Milliman, our partnership with them, which is a large actuarial firm. There's Mercer data, Kaiser data. Um, we could go on and on with lists of where that information comes from. Some of the local chambers do surveys. There's industry trade groups. But you need to understand where did that data come from? Who Who's representing that data? Is it from a SHRM organization? Um, we want to be sure that it's credible information and that it's relevant to you. So don't just take every piece of information that comes across as the gospel because it might not be. Let me just fast forward a little bit um, because we're kind of running out of time. But a couple of things that I want to make sure our listeners hear is that about 21% of the employers are uh, charging smokers more. 
So smokers cost a plan about $6,000 more than non-smokers. Annually. Annually. And the average uh, uh, penalty, charge, incentive, disincentive, I I don't care how you say it, is about $480 annually. Right. So it's a big deal. The other thing that's important, and, and again, this is a topic for another uh, another show, is uh, biometric data. So we have a lot of employers that say, hey, we have biometric screening, which, which, which that's great. But the days of doing that out of hope, in my opinion, and I'm sure it might be yours, but I'll ask you since you corrected me already once, um, are, are, <laughs> are long gone. Right. Um, you need to be able to um, use that biometric data. So we need not to address the individual, but to address globally, what are we going to do inside of our organization? Yeah. So again, I mean, people ask for benchmarking data because they're trying to figure out what their costs are, what their trends are, how they look. And so to your point, biometric data, when we add that on top of what we already know, we can get very, very granular in predicting future claims costs. So you're right. People should not be doing it out of hope. When we add that biometric data to your claims projection with just having your medical and pharmacy, we go from about a 34% accuracy to about an 83% accuracy in predicting future claims costs. So, I mean, that's pretty significant. That's 50% of, of, um, of not a lot of hope, but, but of a lot of planning and strategic planning. And that's what we're talking about here. So 40% of the employers across the country right now are deploying biometric screening in a strategic way. They're collecting the data. Uh, we can take that data then and then push it through data analytics, which is really big data. And like you said, get very, very granularly, granular. So I think that for- That was easy for you to say. It was. Yeah. <clears throat> it was. I think for our listeners, um, what's important, you can, you can go to www.healthierbirthdays.com. We are members of, uh, of an organization called Milliman which is the nation's largest actuarial services. So our listeners just heard you were uh, in Dallas with a bunch of other brokers. And then I just said um, actuaries. So, you know, I'm sure our listeners, that would be like chewing on a bag of nails. (laughs) We're pretty excited about all of those things, though. Yeah, we're excited about it. We're benefit nerds. Exactly. But I I do think uh, on our blog, too, we will have uh, benchmarking data for our listeners. If you're curious about that, so on inside of that Milliman report also refers to Dayton, uh, Cincinnati, Columbus, and also some national numbers. Right. And we have a few industries split out. If you look at that report and you want more information, feel free to email me at ann at healthierbirthdays.com or scott at healthierbirthdays.com. If you're just looking for something you don't find there, we'll be happy to point you in the right direction. So we want to thank our listeners, one, for um, allowing us just the opportunity to share this information with you. Benchmark is important. It's a reference point. It's an anchor in regards to where you are with your workforce, where you are with your competitors. We're not saying you have to make these changes. We are saying it is very, it's critical that right. you're aware of what other employers are doing against right. you. you. You wouldn't do anything else in your company in a vacuum, and so you probably shouldn't plan your benefits in a vacuum either. Exactly. Just makes good sense. So, Anne? Welcome back to Dayton, Ohio. Thank you. And thanks for the warm weather. So excited for 65 degrees today. And thank you to our listeners. Have a terrific day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. Or Ann at healthierbirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on on Side Side Effects. Effects.